0: Alley and the Experts Week on the Alley on the Run show is brought to you by Strava. I am so excited for this episode today. Look, I'll be honest with you. I was raised by an accountant father, and yet at 33 years old, I feel financially illiterate. I know the basics: checking, savings, try not to go into debt, save for retirement somehow. But beyond that, no. I've always avoided asking money questions because I always felt stupid, like this is stuff I should know as an adult and assuming everyone else knows all this stuff. But here I am, admitting that when it comes to finances, investing, and a financial future, I'm pretty lost. And based on the number of questions we got for this episode, I know I'm not the only one. We are all lost together. That's why I am thrilled to welcome Shannon McClay, the CEO and founder of the Financial Gym, to Allie and the Experts Week. Shannon was a financial advisor at Merrill Lynch before branching off to build the Financial Gym in New York City. It's exactly what it sounds like a place to work on your financial skills, just like you would train your body. She's built the gym to coach more than 1,400 clients and has appeared alongside Kotb on The Today Show. No big deal. Whether you love money, hate money, want money, or just want to know what to do with what money you have, Shannon's here to help. So let's go. Shannon, welcome to the Alley on the Run show's Q&A week. I'm so excited we are here to talk money today. Yeah. My favorite topic, not everybody's favorite topic, but it's mine. (laughs) Well, we're going to make it fun. Before we dive in, I would love for you, can you tell everyone just a little bit about who you are and how you're qualified to be giving all this good advice today?
1: So I am the founder and CEO of The Financial Gym. The Financial Gym is a physical location, although we work with clients virtually. We actually work with clients in 47 states right now in the District of Columbia. But a location where you can go to kick your assets into shape and your bad money habits to the curb. It's essentially um, a place where you can go to get financially healthy. And I started The Financial Gym. Uh, I started building it five years ago, and I did that, and I had the idea for it while I was working as a financial advisor at Merrill Lynch, helping I like say like say rich people get richer, <laughs> and um, and there's nothing wrong with that, but I, I, I it was soul sucking, and I I kept seeing a need for people who didn't have 250,000 in assets to talk to a human being instead of having to DIY it and use an app or technology or something like that, so. I left Merrill to start building this and and have been financially training clients now for over seven years. And, um, we've seen it all at the, at the gym, just like we, the, just like we believe everyone should go to a regular gym. We think everybody should go to the financial gym. Um, because there's always, you know, our clients who are financially fit, there's always ways you can get more fit and tone in your finances. And then our clients who are, um, you know, struggling that, you know, there's always uh, room for improvement there. And, We've literally seen it all over the last seven years. People have started with us with negative dollars in the bank because of bank overcharge fees, um, and then we've had clients start with seven million in the bank, and we've had clients making nothing because maybe they're stay-at-home parents or starting a business, and then we have clients making over eight hundred thousand dollars a year. And um, the, I always say the problems are the same; the zeros are different. Um, so we, yeah, we have clients living making eight hundred thousand. You're living paycheck to paycheck, and clients making 40,000 a year living paycheck to paycheck. And we we just, I I love what we do in a
0: nutshell. What you're doing is absolutely brilliant. If there's anything I learned from putting out feelers for this episode, it's that most of us are not financially savvy. And I don't mean that in terms of income. I mean that we have not been taught what to do with money and I mean, that's true of myself. My dad was an accountant, and I still don't know what I'm doing. I don't know the difference between 401ks and Roth IRAs and all that. So I'm really excited to break down a lot of that today. And I just want to say to everyone listening, don't feel stupid for asking these questions because I am here. Like, I have no problem that I'm going to sit here for the next hour admitting that I have no idea what we're talking about and just soaking (laughs) this all in because I think that We feel like, oh, we're in our mid-30s. We should understand all of this. But man, I looked at these questions coming in and it was like, a lot of us have no idea what we're doing, what we should be doing, and that's okay. And you're going to teach us. So let's dive in. I'm so excited. I I have a couple categories here. We're going to talk like budgeting. We're going to talk about loans. We're going to talk about investing. But first, just we're going to do some general questions. So first up, how many credit cards should I have and how do I know which ones are best for me?
1: okay that's a great question so how many credit cards can you have I always say you can have a million credit cards right you can have as many credit cards as people give you it's the balances that you keep on your credit cards so it, it, you we have clients who have who like to use rewards points and sign up points for traveling and and we call that travel hacking and we help people do that at the gym um, and use them responsibly and they'll have literally 30 or 40 cards and their credit score is still over an 800. So you can have as many as you want. It's just, do you have balances on them? We don't want you to just have a lot of balances. We, we want you paying them off, um, all the time. And then two, if they have fees, um, annual fees to have the card, then you don't want to pay a fee just to have a card. Um, if you do have a card that has uh, annual fees, you can always, um, call and ask the, the, credit card provider to move you to a no fee card or possibly shut that down and and how do you know the right ones Um, there's a lot of different sites we like nerdwallet.com to compare credit cards because there's different credit cards for different uses and they have a lot of really great comparison details on cards the points guy is another one um, site that if you like travel hacking that that you can look up resources there.
0: Yeah, I follow him on Instagram and I really want his life. I'll oh, I know, that. right. I mean, it, it, it we have
1: clients doing it and it it works. It's it takes a lot of effort and time to do it, but like you, you can travel for free and live your best life. So the Do key cards. is
0: finding a credit card that fits your lifestyle. If you travel a lot, maybe look into a JetBlue card. If you right, there's kind of cards out there. Yeah, for there's everything. There's, oh, yeah, there's something for
1: everything. For everybody, um, you know, if you have to, if you have credit cards with high balances and you want to lower your interest rates, there's zero percent balance transfer cards. You know, again, it it depends on what you need the credit card for. But NerdWallet's a great resource for that. Great,
0: let's talk bank accounts. How many bank accounts should I have? checking savings, et cetera
1: yeah, so um checking and savings so we we advise clients to have multiple savings accounts for multiple life goals. It's actually a great way to plan in advance. So if you want to save for, if you like travel, we have clients uh, who have travel savings accounts. If you have, um, are saving for a car, we'll have a car savings account. Um, If you have, you know, have home repairs, we have clients with home savings accounts. We like having a naming accounts and having multiple, because what happens is if you only have one checking account or one savings account it's hard to know what that money is for and I know it seems basic but it's true it's like we have clients who don't know if they can afford to go on a trip or or don't know um, you know what what they could pay a certain bill and it's because when everything's just in one place it's really hard to identify like what you're gonna use the money for so we recommend multiple accounts um, I I Would say that you should have your accounts in one place, Um, that's a best practice. What happens when you have accounts, well, at least from your checking and savings, your main accounts, when you have multiple accounts all over the place, it's hard to keep track of. And most of us have busy lives and we're doing a lot of different things and we want to make our money management process as simple as possible. So we usually say... You know checking and savings at a core bank and preferably one that's not charging you a lot of fees and then um your like next level savings we want you once you have your emergency fund um well, you we have if you have your checking your savings, your savings that's like your immediate needs that's in your current bank. But then we also want clients to have like the next level savings, so a high yield savings account, which you can also look a nerd wallet or just Google high yield savings accounts. But Marcus or Ally Bank um, are ones that are like that, and those are paying like two point two five percent now. So we want you in your savings buckets to make money too. So We'll look at like two banks like that. So you'll have your main checking and savings at like, you know, Chase or, or Bank of America, and then high yield savings with um, one of those other banks because m- most regular banks aren't paying a lot in their savings accounts.
0: And what does that mean, high yield? High yield is um great
1: question, Allie. Um, high yield is a, the interest rate that that they're paying you to have your money there. So if you have a bank account, a savings account at Chase or Wells Fargo or Bank of America, you're, they're paying you like 0.05% to have your savings there. If you had a savings account, high yield savings account at Marcus or Ally Bank, they're, they're paying you 2.25%. So that's the yield is the percentage they're paying you. Excellent. Higher, higher yield than your regular savings.
0: I'm telling you, I'm going to dumb this down. Like talk (laughs) to me like I'm a first grader. I'm going to ask so many follow up and clarification (laughs) questions. Uh, The next question, we had two questions that were overwhelmingly popular. We're going to get to the second one in a little bit, but the first one, so many people asking, and I'm going to give a couple versions of it. We hear about insane amounts one should have saved by the time you're X years old. What is realistic? Or yeah. what's a good barometer for how much you should have saved for retirement by a certain age? Or how much should I have in my savings account right now? Just people really want to know uh, how much should I, I have saved? How much does everyone else have saved? Am yeah. I behind? So what do you say to that?
1: Okay. So you're going to appreciate this analogy, Alice. And this <laughs> yeah. is what I tell people, right? Um, you have to run your own race okay (laughs) so you you can't be concerned about who's ahead of you who's behind you it's your journey it is your life journey and how much should be in all your accounts and how much you need is totally dependent on you and the life you want to live so don't worry about other people (laughs) run your own race and and make sure that it's the life you want to live and um and that you're you know financially prepared for your life and not what somebody else is telling you to do. So that's the first thing. Don't worry about other people. Um, And then the second thing is how much to have. So the main, First goal we give our clients at the gym is to have six months of your emergency, uh, six months of your monthly expenses saved in an emergency account. So um, if you, and this is your fixed expenses, so if you you have your rent, maybe student loan payments, car payment, whatever amount you have to pay every month, and let's just say it's $2,000 is what you have to pay every month, then we want you to have about about $12,000 in your emergency savings account. If you don't have that, no big deal. Forty percent of Americans cannot handle a $400 emergency in cash. So you're not alone. Um, But we want that to be the first goal you have. And why the emergency fund is so important for us and kind of getting to that number is that Emergencies happen all the time. I always say that a thousand dollar surprise should never be a surprise to you. The only thing that's surprising is what kind of surprise is it? So, oh. is it a healthcare emergency? Is it a child um, emergency? Do you need four new tires on your car? Did you lose your job? Uh, did your significant other lose their job? Um, is there a government shutdown and you're a government employee? There is always a reason why you need to go into that fund and um and our clients just feel mentally better your mental health will dramatically change when you know that if any of these surprises happen you can afford to pay for them in cash and they don't have to go on a credit card and then you're wondering about how you're going to pay that off at some point in the future. So the first goal and important one we want is that emergency savings account. Then what we're looking at with our clients is what's coming up in your life journey. So I was just saying run your own race. Um, We think about our adult lives as, uh, as a road trip from New York to California. And we always say New York is starting out in California's retirement. and um, we always, great. Yeah. I mean, you know, or, I, I love when people, I say that those so people are like, well, I don't want to live in California. Like, I do. Well, <laughs> yeah. Well, then I'm like, then it's Seattle. I mean, I don't know. Like, <laughs> if this is just an analogy, like whatever you want to, however you want to visualize it. Um, but this is your road trip. And so um, what do you want to do between here and California? And I would say, if you want to have kids, kids are great. I have one, um, but kids is Disney World. It's Orlando. It's the ultimate expensive off the beaten path to, uh, California. Right. So we got to prepare for that road trip. And, um, you know, or do you want to travel the world? Like, what do you want to do? And there's a lot of road between New York and California. And so what happens is that we see clients overly contributing to their 401ks. And I know we're going to get into some retirement stuff, Um, overly contributing to those retirement accounts because they think that's what they're supposed to do. But then what happens is um, there's a lot of road trip between here and California. And you can't, I mean, you can access your 401k, your IRAs with, but you're going to have penalties and fees and taxes before 59 and a half. So, um, you know, think about California as being 59 and a half. And if you're 20, there's a lot you want to do between here and there. And you have to be saving that money where you can access it and where it's appropriately to access it. So when we're talking to our clients about their road trip and where they want to go, if you want to buy a house, if you want to have kids, if you want to start a business, if, um, You know, you want to freeze your eggs. I mean, there's so many things we want to do in life. You need money for that. And so you should be saving not in your 401k, not in a retirement account, but in, um, we call it, it's called a brokerage account or an investment account um, before retirement. And um, you can you can save in those in like Betterment or Elvest or you know some the, they're called robo advisors, but we want you to save that money before retirement, and then we start thinking about retirement. And as long as you know everything, in a perfect world, you're contributing to all three buckets at the same time. Um, your emergency fund, your middle bucket, we call your life money, and then your retirement money. Um, to think about emergency fund is Philadelphia, you know, if we're going from New York, to California, we need to make sure we have money in Philadelphia, like if we, um, we need to make sure we can afford that point. And then that middle bucket, think of that whole middle journey about going to Disney World, about seeing Chicago. All these things take money and that's your middle savings and then retirement. And so what should be in each one, that's dependent on you and what you want to accomplish in life. And if you don't want to have kids, great. You need a lot less money in that middle <laughs> bucket. I mean, you're going to hit California really quick. I have a number <laughs> of clients who don't want to have children. I'm like, good for you. I mean, uh, you know, that uh, my dad used to say all the time, children are the death of net worth. And um, <laughs> I used to think that was so crude and now I'm like it's so true. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, we have we have clients who get, you know, have children and they say, "Yeah, I feel like I got to Ohio and then we just got lost." You know, yeah. we we're just like stuck in Ohio and that can and will happen. Kids are expensive, but um, you know, so your buckets are going to look different and I would say it's really important for you to think about the journey that you want to be on, because um, you know, we, there's nothing. People, you know, who aren't getting financially healthy, it's because they're not resonating with their own life goals, or they don't feel like they can accomplish. Much like we have clients with student loans, and they, they're like, "I'm never going to repay these. I'm never going to do that." Well, you know, there are plenty of people who say they're never going to run a marathon, but with some time and training and work, they get to it. So it's the same thing with student loans and any other life journey. But um you know make sure it's the one that you want to to be on and and if if starting a business is something that resonates for you create that business savings account and you know put money in that and you know you'll it'll resonate with you more you'll you'll stop spending as much now because you want to save for that that goal and um and so the amounts are are going to be different um depending on you know what what you want to accomplish in life but If you can manage your expenses, the biggest, like, personal finance is just two things. I I always say personal finance, uh, physical fitness and financial fitness are both simple uh, in that they're two things. And to get physically fit, we need to eat less and work out more. And to get financially fit, we need to spend less and make more. And I always say it sounds really simple, but if it was that simple, we'd have a bunch of skinny millionaires running around. And- (laughs) You know, there's a lot that comes in the way and there's a lot of emotions around both. But with getting financially healthy, if you can get your spending down and spending under control, then um, you don't need to have as much saved for all those buckets and in all that money because you won't need that much to support yourself in retirement and and all those things. So if you can work on your spending along the way and then, you know, the less you spend, the more that gets saved into those different buckets and then it, it, it balances.
0: Alright, I love that. And also these running analogies are just singing right to my heart. I know. So I was I'm like, glad you're it. gonna love that. <laughs> okay, my last general question. Do you and this is totally that nosy, voyeuristic question that we all have. In general, do you find that most people in their thirties have debt, are living paycheck to paycheck, or are super rich somehow? Uh one and two. Um, there's not a lot
1: of super rich people, just like I was saying about the, uh, skinny millionaires. There's not a lot of them out there. Um, and here's the thing, you know, if you're not good with money and and we, we said this, or you don't know it, there's no reason why you should be, I always say like, give yourself a break. There's no reason why any of us should be financially healthy because a, we did, we are not learning it in schools. Um, most of us didn't learn it at home and, um, And we're not learning it on our jobs. We're just supposed to figure it out. And there's a lot, just a lot of information out there. And then two billions of dollars a year are spent on making us bad at money and and spending our money. I mean, literally, we get targeted ads to our cell phones on the things that we love most. And there's so much, um, it's so easy now to spend money. And the biggest complaint we have at the gym, or you know, or comment we get from clients is, I don't know where my money's going. Huh. I make money, I don't know where it's going. And let me tell you what we know. We we follow our clients' spending. We know where it's going. I mean, the three biggest. We we are in New York, and um, but again, we work with clients all over the place. But in New York, our clients' money is going to Uber, Seamless, Amazon, and Dwayne Reed, which is a grocery store. <laughs> you know, um, Drugstore. That's that's where it's going. Um, outside of New York, it's going to Amazon. It's going to, it's going to food and uh, and some. I'm trying to think what else. We mostly it's Amazon. And when you think about and some kind of shopping experience, Target likely. Um, when you think about those kind of things, what we say to our clients is um, one of our slogans of the gym is, "What are you working for?" And it goes back to that whole. Um, analogy of being running your own race and and the life you want. What are you getting out of bed every day? Most of us work really hard for our money. What are you getting out of bed every day to do that for? Like, why are you working? And what I think to help you get financially healthy is to really think about what are you doing this for? Because it's probably not to pay down debt. It's probably not to accumulate stuff in your house and um, wherever you live. It's probably you want to travel. Travel's the number one goal of the gym. Maybe you want to start a business or have a family. You want to do all these other things. And the money you spend along the way is just, it's, it's less money you have for the things you really love and want to do. So prioritizing what you're working for is a great way to help you spend less money. But most people in their thirties know we don't have a lot of, um, uber rich people, um, secretly wealthy people, <laughs> they're secretly in a lot of debt and secretly
0: don't have anything saved. Um, and that's what we do. Uh, Yeah. See, this is an argument my husband and I have. And I, you know, I love you, but you totally are proving him right. He says everyone secretly has debt. I say everyone's secretly super rich. So uh, yeah. sorry, yeah,
1: your husband. Wins, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he always does when it comes to this.
0: All right, let's move on. Let's get into some specifics. Let's tackle yeah. budgeting. What is your favorite budgeting tool for people who hate to budget, or is there an app or computer program you recommend for tracking expenses?
1: Okay, Allie, budgets are like diets. No one wants to be on one. Okay, <laughs> so um, if you don't like being on a budget, you are not alone. But just like there's a lot of ways to diet, there's a lot of ways to budget, and um and we have we have a webinar on our site budgeting bootcamp um that we go through that we we have weekly webinars um at the gym at the financial gym that um are free and people can join but what we talk about in budgeting bootcamp the number one budget that works for clients is the goals based budget and that's that's saving for those goals that you have, and it's just creating an auto draft. We have clients saving you know, the first step is to save 15% of your gross monthly income. So, if you're making um, 60 th- let's just say well, 50,000 a year, um, your monthly, your gross monthly income is about $4,200, and then you multiply that by 0.15, and that gives you $630 a month. That's your first goal to save like goals based budget. So six thirty a month, um, to save. If you've never saved that much before, no big deal. Um, it's just like, again, running a marathon. If you've never ran a marathon, that's not a big deal. You're just going to take some time and training, but you want to start yourself. That's your goal is to get to that six thirty a month. So we have clients set an auto draft from their checking account to their savings account, and you just set it up online—an automatic transfer for 6:30, either twice a month. Maybe they do 2:15 at the first paycheck, 2:15 at the second, or 3:15 at the second, or they'll do it the second paycheck because they've left less bills coming out on the 15th of the month or something. And then 6:30 a month going to that savings account, and set it and forget it. And um, and then you you spend what's left in your checking account, and you. Make your spending, you know, you adjust your spending to what's left in the checking account. If you don't have any money left in the checking account, you don't spend any money because you want to build up that savings. If you need to move the money back, no big deal. You're not sending it to Mars. You just move it back from your savings account. But in the process of moving it back, you're almost creating this mindfulness around your money of why did I have to take the money for my savings? Because I should be able to hit this goal. And I'll tell you, 90% of our clients at the gym are hitting this goal all the time. So not right away. Some of them, um, it takes some time, just like getting physically healthy, takes some time, but they, they've set this goal. And, um, within, you know, within six months, first six months of working with us, we have 90% of our clients hitting this goal. So, it's totally doable, you just need to set it. Um and then, you know, if you want to travel and you know you spend about $5,000 a year for travel, well, 5,000 divided by 12 months in a year, cuz let's say travel's your goal, 5 divided uh, 5,000 divided by 12, that gives you about $420. So, $420 a month should be saved for travel. That's your goal, your travel goal. So then you'll set up an automatic transfer, we set up a travel savings account. And send four hundred twenty dollars, and then whenever you have trips and you want to travel, then you spend from what's in that travel savings account. If you don't have the money in that travel savings account, then you don't go on that trip because you don't have it saved. The goals based budgeting—that's that's the best way to do it—and and creating those auto drafts for savings because. It's just like setting it and forgetting it. It's kind of an easy way. Whatever's left in your bank account, that's what you have for expenses. And you just kind of naturally, it's like our sneaky way to get our clients to budget. They're budgeting, they don't realize it because they're you know, saving and like spending what's left over. Um, some other budgets we like, cash only um, budget. Like if you, When we use our credit cards and our debit cards, literally our brain shuts down when we swipe a card. So the thought process, processing center of our brain literally shuts down. So um, we're not being mindful of how we're spending our money when we spend credit and debit and we tend to overspend on those. So if you're having issues with that then then cash is it. And then once a week take out $100 in cash and challenge yourself. Can I live off $100 this week or um, you know, less or and and challenge it and then use cash. And then we I love when clients are like, Well, I ran out of money cash on Wednesday. Well, then you're out of money, mm-hmm. okay? So that cash is the best teacher. Cash is actually a really great teacher about money for kids, too. Um, for anybody who wants to help their kids learn more about money, cash is a great teacher, because when it's gone, it's gone, <laughs> um, versus credit cards where you overspend. And then no spend days, are that's an exercise, but that's part of budgeting. Um, or actually, I'm sorry, going back to budgeting, uh, expense tracking is a great way to budget, too. Just like um, like Weight Watchers works for me with losing weight and I have to track what I'm eating you, could, you should also track what you're spending and not with judgment but I would say do a first month of tracking your expenses every single day if you get coffee and um, you know put that in your expense tracker you could do it on your phone in the notes or you could do it in Excel or if there's expense, expenses okay is an app that we like or just search expense. Um, tracker in your um, app stores and you can find um, different ones that could work for you. But tracking it every day and then um, and then reflecting on it, like not with judgment, but saying, okay, when you look back on the last month, did it feel like I could spend less? Do I feel like I could spend, um, that I spent too much or whatever it is, and then make your adjustments. But in the process of having to write down all the expenses, you just become more mindful of where your money's going to.
0: I love that. That is such good advice. Let's get into college loans. Lots of questions here. Yes. Okay. First up, paying off student loans. What is the best thing to do when you barely make any funds? I feel like I'm going to paying these off forever. And a lot of people just ask generally, what are the best strategies for paying off lots of student loans? Yeah. So um,
1: if you feel like you're going to be paying student loans forever or you feel um, like uncomfortable with all the debt, you're not alone. 65% of the population has student loan debt. And the average student loan debt is about $40,000. So, wow. um, it, it is a problem. And, um, and I always say just kind of like weight loss, um, the best way to avoid it is to not have it to begin with. So, um, if you're listening to this and you're thinking about, um, getting an MBA or getting, um, some kind of you know the next uh masters degree or something like that i would really weigh those options and determine like how much that's really going to benefit you student loan hero and smart asset are two great sites where you can model out what that looks like and you know we have some clients who are like I'm thinking about getting a masters because they want to make a career change and I'm like well just go into your LinkedIn profile and search who you know who's already doing that because it's just networking I mean most of these to make a career change you don't need need to take on all this debt especially if you're going to take on debt I would really consider consider before doing that but if you already have the student loan debt the first thing is um, knowing what you have so make sure that you know all of the debt and what type of debt is it? Is it a federal student loans or private loans? And there's different options for both. But if you're federal loans, we recommend consolidating those and um, and having one payment. And even if you've been paying for a while, that consolidation process it just makes it simpler and usually it'll lower your payment. And then with the federal loans, they have there's so many different repayment options for them that um they just you have flexibility and there's hardship um options there's um income based repayment plans so and, and if you have uh children um you know there's different there's different repayment options with federal loans. so i'd make sure that you understand all of them and if you if they apply to you um if you work for a public entity public student loan forgiveness is um is a real thing. And, um, it's a, you have to be on, you know, on those plans and those payments, but we just had a client have, um, she's been paying her, she works for a public entity. She's been paying her, um, student loans for the last 10 years, has had 120 consecutive student loan repayments and she had $50,000 of federal debt that was left over that just got forgiven. And so, you know, I, I would say if you work for a you know nonprofit and th- there's different ways you can see if you're, if you work for an entity that would apply, but make sure you're aware of that. And student loan hero is a really great site for all these things. I would go to, and you can, they could let you know if you have different repayment options and um, if you can qualify for some leniency in your, your student loans, this is on the federal side, federal student loans is where you have flexibility. If you have private loans, Uh, private loans are just, they're just bad. Um, it, you don't really have a lot of options. The best thing you can do is to try to get the lowest interest rate. So thinking about refinancing private loans is something to do, but I'll, I'll tell you to be aware of refinancing in general, because, um, we have a lot of clients who are like, I want to, you know, refinance and get a lower interest rate. And what happens is if you go to one of those sites like SoFi or Common Bond or um, you know, another student loan refinancing site, these are great, but, um, they are private companies. So if you're going to refinance all of your debt, it's going to go, it's going to become private student loan debt. And, um, if you have federal loans, you do not want to, even if you're going to get a lower interest rate, federal loans just have so many different repayment options. And there's a lot of life in the next, 15 to 20 years of repaying that debt that you want to have as much flexibility in your repayment options. And when you refinance that loan to get a lower interest rate, you're taking it from a federal loan and, and it becomes a private loan and you lose all that flexibility. So be careful about just getting a lower interest rate because um, it's more than just getting a lower interest rate when you refinance and it becomes a private loan. Private loans, it's literally just trying to get the lowest interest rate possible. And there's in SoFi Common Bond, there's different companies out there that you can apply to um to get those refinanced. But yeah, they're they're a bear. but you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't stress about them either. It 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 stinks um to have the student loan debt. nobody wants to be paying the debt for the rest of their life, but you can save and do other things and, and lead a good life and you know work on your career and making more money and then you start tackling the debt when you can. You always can get to it. I, I wouldn't stress about it and I wouldn't stress about overpaying it so quickly too, because we've seen clients who are just they just want that debt to go away and they're obsessed with paying it down. And what happens is they're taking all their extra cash and they're paying down student loan debt which they can have up to 15, 20 years to repay and they're hyper-focused on repaying it and then they don't have cash in the bank and then an emergency happens and then what happens is you end up putting it on a credit card and then instead of having 6% student loan debt, you have 24% credit card debt. So um, I wouldn't be hyper-focused on it. We have clients, we take a balanced approach to student loan debt where we want clients to save and do debt repayment at the same time.
0: So you would say stick to the minimum payments for a while, and yeah,
1: yeah, you can always catch up. So we have clients who've done that; like they're not making, they're not a point in their in a point in their career where they have a lot of extra money. So yeah, take make make the you have to make the minimum payments. Okay, that's the other thing about student loan debt; these are not going to go away. It's like I say, it's the worst STD ever. Um, sexually <laughs> transmitted debt. Um, it, it is. And there's no antibiotic for it. So it's literally when you look at the government can um, there's no statute of limitations on when uh, the government coming after you for repaying the debt. And the only other federal crimes where there's no statute of limitations are um, murder, treason and um, environmental crimes. I think so, and then student loan debt. I mean, that's just how serious it is, like with the government. So, if you also, if you have a loan that um, you haven't been paying and um, it's in default or or whatever, you can rehab it. You and the rehab process is actually um, pretty easy. You can, it you just have to make a certain number of payments and it'll get you back on track. So, I would highly advise rehabbing if you and not avoiding that student loans because they're just not going to go away. Um, and you want to contact your loan servicer to do that. So whoever you're making payments to, that's who you need to talk to about rehabbing it.
0: I would love if you could explain, this is my question. This is Mm -hmm. not um, sent in from people. We use the word refinancing a lot when it comes to loans, when it comes to mortgages, we hear this word all the time. Can you pretend I am four years old and explain refinancing?
1: Yeah. So you have debt, some kind of debt. It could be student loan debt. It could be a mortgage. It could be a car loan, and it has an interest rate. It, let's just say it's 6 or 7%. And and when you refinance that loan, what you're doing is you're applying for a new loan, and hopefully that new loan has a lower interest rate than the one that you have currently. So you're taking that old loan, and it's going into a new loan and a, a new loan at a lower interest rate. I would never have tell anybody to refinance debt at a higher interest rate, that's no, you wouldn't. That doesn't make sense. Um, so really, the reason why you would do a refinancing is because you want to get a lower interest rate on your loan.
0: Quick pause for a word from our sponsor, Strava. I'm a sucker for a good buy the numbers, so let me share with you some numbers from Strava, which isn't just the leading social network for athletes. It's also my running app of choice. I've been a Strava member since 2014, and I use it for every run I complete. Okay, by the numbers, 25 activities are uploaded to Strava every second. More than 1100 professional athletes are on Strava, including some Alley on the Run show favorites like Kara Goucher and Lauren Fleshman. Over 4 million photos are shared every week on Strava and 1 million athletes join every 30 days. In other words, everyone is having fun on Strava and you should be too. Strava helps you keep track of your runs and make them better. And by adding Strava Summit to your membership, you get so many additional features like training plans, custom feedback, and analysis. Yes, please. Go to Strava.com slash summit and use code on the run to get your first month of Strava Summit free. That's Strava.com slash summit using code on the run. Now let's get back to money talks. Let's talk about investing. I mm-hmm. I would say like 60% of the questions we got were about investing. Awesome. And let's just start with the, with one of my favorites. How mm-hmm. the f*** do you get started investing? Yeah, I love that. How the f*** do you get started? Good for you. Um,
1: <laughs> you it's just like the Nike ad. You just do it. Um, we have a webinar on the uh, Financial Gym Investing 101, and um, I highly recommend Uh, listening or watching it or whatever, because we we go into that in greater detail. But there's a lot of different ways you can get started. First of all, you you need to have the money to get started, but you don't need a lot of money. Um, There are so many sites like Acorns. Acorns is one of our favorite. Acorns literally will round your change and invest it. So um, it really makes it easy for you to get started investing. We have clients who have Acorns accounts and they have $5 a week is going to their investment account. So you can get started. I, and I say the best way to do it is to just do it and, and, and watch it happen. And it doesn't have to be difficult. Um, the biggest thing you need to Balance is your life goals and when you need the money. So there's different it's called asset allocation. Um, we go into this in greater detail in, in Investing One Hundred One, but it's your mix of what you're investing in, and it's for your life goals. So you might see like in your retirement, if you have a four hundred one k plan, um, you'll see uh, these terms, or you'll see these terms in other places. But you'll see conservative, um, a moderate and then aggressive. Those are what usually the, the phrases you'll hear around um, investing, conservative, moderate and invest and aggressive. And so that's what that's really just describing the asset allocation, your what you should have, how you should be investing your money for those different goals. So if you um want to invest for uh, and you're going to need the money in the next two to three years, maybe you're, you're buying a home and that's, you know, two to three year goal, then you want to um, invest conservatively. And that means not a lot of stocks and not, um, um, and more bond stocks are um, the, uh, an aggressive investment. And then if you are saving for a five to 15 year goal, then that's moderate. Um, you're moderately uh, um, investing and you search for moderate investments. And then aggressive is longer term goal, that's like retirement. And you want to make sure your retirement investing is, is aggressive. And, you know, for for time, I don't want to get too far in the weeds on all these terms. But um, I would say check out our investing 101 webinar, we go into this in a lot of greater greater detail.
0: Excellent. Which is smarter putting money into savings and retirement or paying down your mortgage faster? I love this
1: question. Usually, um, we, <laughs> this is usually coming from client, we work with individuals and couples. And there's always the couples always ask this and there's always one person on either side of it. And so the trainer is always like the tiebreaker on this question. Um, the the way I look at it is your interest rate. And um, if you invest your money over time, you can expect about six to 8% returns conservatively, over time, that's what your investments are going to make for you. And if you have a mortgage that is two, three, four, five percent, then um, I would say that you're going to make more money on your money investing than you are paying down the mortgage. So um, where you're paying five percent, but if you take that, if you think about where your dollar is going to go, if, it, if it's going to paying down five percent versus make six to eight, well then you have two to three percent more by investing um, than paying down the mortgage. So we are of the fans of invest. If your mortgage is at an interest rate where, where it doesn't make sense to pay it down. And we've got clients with 2% mortgages. And I'm like, no way should you be paying this down? You need to your, your other money. And then the other thing too, with paying down the mortgage is that your house is a very illiquid asset, which means, you know, you have to sell it to get that money out or, you know, maybe take out a home equity line of credit. And it's just not convenient versus if you had it an investment account and you needed it for some reason to pay for college for your kids or start a business or something like that, you can access that money every single day in an investment account. It takes about two to three days to get it into cash, but you have access to that every single day versus your home. It's it's very difficult to access that dollar that you put in there.
0: What do I do now that I'm an adult and actually have a decent chunk of money saved? It's just Yay. sitting in savings. Yay. Good for you. No, this is not uh, my question.
1: <laughs> no, I know for your listener.
0: <laughs> Yay, listener.
1: <laughs> Yay for listener as money. Um, so that th- this is where we would say, like, what are what what do you want to do with that money? What are your life goals for that? And um, if you don't have any immediate need in the next one to two years, anything like one to two years should be in cash or that high yield savings account I was talking about. Anything beyond, then it would depend on your life goal. And if that life goal is five to ten years away, then I would say invest it and invest it in a moderate in a moderate to moderately aggressive, um, investment mix. And, and then, you know, if it's longer term then aggressive and you can, um, I- again, you can find these things. If you just search, if you're, if you already, ha- you know, knowing where to go to invest, I think that's, you know, a challenge that clients have. And, um, I said, acorns stash invest, And uh, Betterment, those are all called robo advisors, and they make it really easy for you to pick. They pick the mix for you. You just say that you it's you know it's a moderate goal, and they pick the mix for you, which takes the guesswork out of it, which is great. If you want to invest in in Vanguard or um, Fidelity or another one of those sites, you have to do a little bit of work, but you can always search like for those terms, like I said, moderate to or aggressive or conservative, and it'll give you the right um, investments for that mix.
0: Okay, what's reasonable or smart in terms of continuing to add to an emergency fund versus investing?
1: Yes. So to um, it depends on how, how comfortable you are with taking more risk on your money. So we have clients who let's just say their emergency fund goal is $10,000. We have clients who will save five and have five in cash and invest five um, because they have really stable jobs. They're, they're constantly saving, you know, we set up those goals of, you know, saving automatically. So they're saving every month. So they know they're building it up and they don't foresee a greater than $5,000 issue like surprise happening and they feel like they want their money to make more money so they will invest that it depends on you and your comfort level and those sorts of things Um, when you invest your money in a brokerage account um, which could be betterment or acorns or any of those type of fidelity vanguard a non-retirement account when you invest in that you have access to that money every single day. Um, you can, you'd have to do what's called a sell, and and it'll come. You know, takes like two to three days to get back to cash. But you have access to that money every single day, so it's not like you, you know, you can't get it. What you, what you risk is where the market is at that day. So, if the market's down, and you need to access it well then you might be selling you know at a loss and there's nothing wrong with losses either people freak out about that but i want to say something too if you look at your accounts if you look at your 401k or your investment accounts and you get scared because especially since like october we had a lot of um volatility in the markets and people were getting you know scared If they look at their accounts when you see losses or you see red, what you're looking at is what's called an unrealized loss, and which means it hasn't happened yet. And that all it is, is if you were to sell on that day, then that unrealized loss becomes a realized loss, and then it becomes a real thing. But until you actually sell, you haven't lost anything. Um, You still own the same amount of shares of whatever you own you when you buy them you have that same amount it's just they're worth less on that particular day because of whatever's happening and this is the, the point I really want to make on investing is when you invest your money it will absolutely go up and down that is what the markets do um they are they're supposed to go up and down it's that's just how they work it will be you you'll see it go up and down all the time um and the what we tell our clients is like to try to not look so much because if you don't need your money then it's not an issue at that time, then you don't want to stress yourself out unnecessarily. So, you know, don't look at it. They're supposed to go up and down, but over time you will make more money. And the thing I want to point out too, for people who are scared of investing, you're not alone. We have a lot of fears around investing. I say it's like a roller coaster. It will go up and down. Roller coasters can be scary, but the only way you really lose is if, you know, it's just like a roller coaster. If you jump off before the ride is over, I mean, then you're going to get hurt. (laughs) Um, it's the same thing with investing. So if you you plan appropriately, then you know you'll you'll be fine in the long run. And you know people are scared of losing money when they invest, but what I what I say is if it's sitting in a that bank account and it's earning less than you know point oh one percent, well, inflation is two to three percent. So. Literally, your worst fears are happening every single day while it's sitting in that bank account. You are literally losing money every single day by not investing that money. And um, because of inflation, they call it the silent killer of your money. So, you know, investing helps you keep your money, you know, it's like taking your money off a sofa and putting it on the treadmill. You're just giving it a workout. And you can do it. There's different roller coasters, there's different ways to invest. And, and, you know, it just depends on your comfort level, but money that non-emergency money or money that you don't need in the next one to two years, we are advising our client. We want them to be investing that. All
0: right. Can you talk a bit about credit scores and how you can improve your credit score or build a good credit score when you're young?
1: Yeah. So credit, um, you definitely need to start building it when you're young. Um, unfortunately the best way to build credit is, is credit cards. And we see this a lot with millennials, um, clients, they have a lot of student loan debt and they're scared of credit cards cause they have all this debt. So they don't get them. And then what happens is their credit scores aren't, aren't they're They're not building anything because they don't, they don't have a credit card. So that is the best way to, to build it. And I always say, you know, you want to Start with, you know, if you're new to it and you want to build your credit score, then you start with either if you can get an unsecured credit card, that's great. Sometimes you have to get a secured credit card, which means you have to give, if you get a $500 limit, you have to give the credit card company like $100 or $200 to secure the credit card. It's just a way for you to start building your credit. And then I say put like your phone bill or something, um, regular bill that you have on, and then set that to auto pay. And, um, and let it just kind of happen every month because every month you'll you'll be have you know, your credit will be reported to the credit bureaus and it'll start building and it builds pretty quick. It takes about six months to a year if you haven't started building your credit to get to that point where, you know, you start, your credit score will go up. For um, the credit score ranges are between 300 and 850 and 300 is, I mean, I haven't seen it. We have one client. We had a 350 credit score, and I said he was like a unicorn. I've never seen um, something. Usually we're seeing like 500s, but it can go down to 300, um, and that's that's very poor. And then 850 is excellent, and there's different ranges um, within that. And um, how you can improve, if so, if you've already – Gone on the credit journey, and maybe you want to get you're at a 600 or something, you want to get better. One of the biggest issues that we see in a quick fix is having high balances on credit cards. It's called your credit utilization, and your credit utilization. Should be no more than thirty percent, which means if you have a thousand dollar limit on your credit card, you should have no more than three hundred dollars on that card at any given time. Thirty percent of that limit, and um, what happens is, you know, clients will have a thousand dollar limit on a credit card and a thousand dollars on the card, <laughs> and um, so that's not good for your utilization number. If you get, and we're in like tax refund season, if you get a tax refund. And maybe take some of that money pay down that card and you drop that utilization number, then your score actually can go up dramatically. We've seen clients' scores go up 50 to 90 points within a month of um, paying down that card. So that's a quick fix. If if credit utilization is a problem on your credit, and if you don't know what your credit is, um, you can go to... Sites like, like Credit Karma and Credit Sesame are great. They're free. If you already have a credit card, most credit card providers are providing you with a FICO, FICO score um, on your app or with your um, online. So you want to check that out. Um, you can, so you should know what your credit score is. And then, um and then if you if credit utilization is one of those problems then if you pay that down that'll go up really quickly if you have missed payments then that's a, that's an issue and that's just going to take some time to if you and I always say too anything you do this goes for everything financially everything you do financially is fixable Everything is fixable. So if you've got bad credit, no big deal. If you haven't saved enough, no big deal. Um, if you don't have enough in retirement, no big deal. Everything is fixable. It's just a matter of how much you need to do work you need to do to fix it. So if your credit score is a mess, no big deal. It just it'll just take some time to fix. If you have missed payments, then what you have to do is you have to start paying and paying consistently and and then once that you have like some kind of track record of good payments then your score will go back up. And for payments, you wanna make sure you're always paying the monthly payments on all of your bills, the minimum monthly payment. That's, that's the very minimum of what you should do. If you're having a tough time paying bills, like at least make sure you're making those minimum payments because missed payments are, um, are problematic. But as long as you're p- making the minimum payment, then then you're getting a good report to the credit bureaus and that's gonna help your credit.
0: Love all of that. you make this sound so like I don't know, I just am enjoying talking to money with you, talking about money with you a lot more than when I talk about it with my dad, so <laughs> I really appreciate that. Let's wrap this up with some baby family personal category questions. Yeah. We'll kick it off with when should you open a college fund for baby
1: um before baby's born. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, I have I mean, a four month old, forever. so let me go back into time. Really, you need,
1: you need your <laughs> social security number. So uh, <laughs> it's going to be after they're born. But um, yeah, it, it, so here's the thing, too. I mean, I, 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 we like 529 plans for kids, um, especially if you live in a state where you could get a state tax exemption for your contributions. That's great. Um, but yeah, as soon as possible. And then but the other thing, too, is like, I wouldn't stress so much about paying for college for your kids Um I, if it's a goal of yours, we definitely want you to, to save for it. But um, you can always finance a college education. You can't finance your retirement. So we really want you to build your own um, money and focus on that be- like before overly focusing on the college for the kids. It's just it, – Cost of colleges is just insane, and I think between now and the next, you know, eighteen years, when I, you know, however long you have a few kids going, um, I think things are going to change. It's just it's unsustainable with how much, how expensive a college education is versus like what you're going to get back from it as far as income you're going to make um, on the debt. So I think we're going to see some changes. So I wouldn't hyper focus on that goal because um, again, you also need to be saving for yourself and for your own retirement. Um, but a 529 is a great way to save though. And you can do automatic transfers for that.
0: Excellent. What's the best type of life insurance for a family with one child and two working parents? Yes, so life insurance.
1: We um Policy Genius is a great site, uh, policygenius.com for um checking out what kind of life insurance you need. We are fans of term life insurance, which is less expensive than whole life and you get more death benefit from it and we definitely think that if you have a child and own a home and have all these adulty things, you should have life insurance because you never know what's going to happen in the next 20 to 30 years while you're building your wealth. And, um, you know, so a term policy for 25 years and, you know, look, depending on your budget, we want you to have at least like a $500,000 policy if you can afford it. And that if, depending on how old you are, if you're in your 30s, um, you're looking at it's probably like 35, 35. I have a $750,000 policy and I got it when I was 35 and it, it cost me about $32 a month to, to have that, to have that policy. So it's a it term is much more affordable than whole life. The and that whole life is a whole other um, conversation to have, but policygenius.com is great. You can shop, uh, different options and, and they'll give you an estimate on your, um, on your life insurance. I wouldn't go crazy too though, like to get like a million, $2 million policy. I mean, unless you have like a huge mortgage, you know, that, you want to make sure you cover if something were to happen to you, you don't have to overpay for life insurance. The reality is that I think it's something like less than 1% of term policies are ever paid out because we're not likely to die mm-hmm. between now, between 30 and 50. That's not a high probability. So we don't want you to go crazy um, and you know have this big policy that you're probably not going to use at some point, cause hopefully you won't die. So, you know, something that's what we're like, you know, 500,000, like then you're kind of hedging your bets and, um, and you have some kind of extra protection should something happen to you.
0: All right. I love this next question because it came up a lot. And I think this is partly a question for you and partly a question for our relationship therapist that we had on tips for sharing money with your partner. Should yes. you pool almost none joint budget help?
1: Love that. Love that question. Um, I, we we are a fans of being all in. So I, I, we call it getting financially naked when you're sharing your, your numbers. And we're more comfortable getting physically naked with somebody than we are financially naked. And we have clients who've been married 10 years who don't know what's in each other's bank accounts. So um, if that's you, then you're not alone, um, a best practice we see, and again, I've been doing this for seven years now, best practice is really as joint as possible on everything, and you can have separate accounts and separate credit cards and things like that, but to keep have everything as joint as possible, because um, especially if you're married, uh, if you're married, then it's even if you're hiding that you have your own accounts, at the end of the day, in most states, they view it as communal assets and liabilities. So, it's all yours at the end of the day, anyway. And um, and what happens is when you have separate accounts, you create this this natural like uh, natural unnatural tension between you and your partner because you're saying, oh you need to Venmo me for the rent, or um, you need, I, I, I paid this, you pay that, I, you, it becomes like an I, you thing. And when you have a joint account, if all your, your paychecks are going to one place, and you're paying bills from one place, then it becomes ours and we, our account, we pay the bills. And it just creates more of a um, cohesiveness in the relationship. Our couples who have, and we've Counseled a lot of couples to joint accounts because they start separate, and then it's interesting. There's a lot of tension because nobody knows what's happening and, and how people are paying bills and if they're managing their money smartly. And then once we move them to this joint system, the fighting and the tension just kind of goes away because everything's there. It's all out in the open. You know what bills are being paid, and um, and it's just it's a, it it's just less tension in the relationship. And I'm I'm divorced, and I know. There were a lot of you know reasons why I'm divorced, but money was definitely an issue. And um, I was one of those people like I I make money. I don't want to be told what to do, and I you know I don't want him telling me what to do with my money. And what happens when you have that kind of attitude? Then it's like, well, why are you in this relationship with this person? If you don't care enough to be to be contributing together, or or if you don't have enough openness to like to be able to see your your financial situation together, then Why are you in a relationship with this person? Um, You know, I I just think you need to, I think it it just joint finances, like I said, we've just seen over the years, you have um, less issues in a relationship. And if you're truly committed to your partner and to a long term relationship, then having as much financially open as possible will lead to a healthier relationship, I promise.
0: I love it. All right, let's wrap this up. Like I said, we got literally hundreds of questions. So I think I just need to bring you back like every week and help us all become (laughs) financially savvy. But the last question is going to be a little self promo for you as well. The question is, how do you know if you should work with a financial planner? What are your tips for finding a good one? And since we're going to be on the topic, tell everyone what it's like to work with you and your trainers.
1: Yeah. So, do you need a financial planner? I, I always say um, it, I think everybody could benefit, should benefit from a financial plan. It, it's getting that roadmap for your life trip, and when you the, some of the questions about how much you need to have saved and what it looks like. That's that's the things that a financial planner will give to you. So, um, I, I think that's it's a great thing. Um, as far as uh, is is working with one, how do you find the right one? I always say finding a financial planner is like Dating, um, it's like it, money is very intimate, and the person that you are going to trust to, to have your money knowledge, you want to um, interview as many people as possible, if you can, um, and you know ask friends who they use, and and you know working with somebody at the financial gym, our financial trainers are financial planners, um, they just wear jeans and t-shirts. Um, and it's more, uh, we call it your best financial friend, your BFF, your best financial friend. Um, and working with us and again, so working with a financial planner, you also want to make sure it's the right kind of fee structure and it, it's a, you know, affordable for you. That's part of the reason why I left Maryland to start the financial gym is I wanted affordable financial planning for everybody. And so to work with us, it's like, it's just like a regular gym. You pay a monthly fee somewhere, you know, starting around $99 a month. Um, and you get paired with a financial trainer and, you know, we have clients ask, I don't know if I could afford $99 a month or I, you know, I can't afford that. And I always say, if you, if you can't afford $99 a month, then you should be working with somebody. Nobody should be living paycheck to paycheck. Nobody should um, be worried about hundred dollars a month. And I and we have clients making twenty thousand a year and clients making four hundred thousand a year. So it has nothing to do with income. I feel like nobody should have that issue. And a lot of what we do, our work with the trainers, is sometimes maybe you're living paycheck to paycheck and that paycheck's too small. And one of the things that you know some clients might have is we're we're going to tell you how much you need to make. Every client we tell you how much your income you need to make to sustain your lifestyle. And then we're going to help you negotiate and find a way to make that money. So um, that is some of the plans. uh, Some of our clients are on that type of workout. And working with their trainer. The other thing too, is we have a six month money back guarantee. So I believe so much in what we do that if you, um, if you are not significantly further ahead in your finances and in better shape after six months of working with us and doing half of what we say, then, um, I'm going to give you your money back because I believe so much in what we do and making that investment in you and your financial health, I think is super critical.
0: Okay, I'm obsessed with you and everything you're doing. I think this is amazing. I think everyone listening needs to go sign up. Tell them where they can find you and get started.
1: Yeah, financialgym.com, and you can sign up for a free warm up call there. You can also um, get on our email list and find out more about our webinars. And our we, if you're in New York, we every Wednesday night we have wine and learn Wednesdays where you can come, drink wine and and talk about money topics. And yeah, financialgym.com. And on uh, Instagram, it's at the financial gym. Follow
0: us. Before I let you go, what is something you want everyone listening today to take away from this and understand about money?
1: I want everyone to understand that um, money is power and in a good way. And we all want to be empowered in our lives. And so if you have, and the two words that we hear in the gym all the time People starting out is that they feel fear and shame around their money, and that is not a powerful stance, and that's not where we want you to be. So, um, we want to you to be empowered and and powerful with your money, and knowledge about it is the only way you get that. and um, And so, don't be afraid to to um, learn more about your money. There's plenty of resources. I always say, you know, if you're a podcast listener, there's plenty of personal finance podcast. I have one called Martini's and Your Money. Um, Listen to podcasts, watch videos, get educated, and you'll feel more powerful. And we all want to feel that way around our money.
0: Amazing. Shannon, I have learned so much from you today. I'm so grateful. I'm sure everyone listening has as well. Thank you for breaking it down and making this all seem accessible. I so firmly believe that this is stuff we need to be taught in school and we're not. And that blows my mind. So thank you for getting us all caught up and And sharing all your wisdom. I think this has been so great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We're all rich now. I mean, we will be soon. Probably. Totally. My biggest thanks to Shannon and the Financial Gym for answering all these great questions and thank you for sending them our way. I am having so much fun and I'm learning so much this week and I hope you are too. If you're enjoying Allie and the Experts Week so far, let me know. I'm Allie on the Run 1 on Instagram and Twitter. I'd love for you to like and follow the Allie on the Run Facebook page. And you know I would be so grateful if you would leave a rating and review for the Allie on the Run show on iTunes. We have two more days to go during Allie and the Experts Week. Tomorrow, we're talking skin. Dr. Rachel Nazarian will be here to talk cysts, butt acne, and those weird six-inch chin hairs that grow out of nowhere. It's a good time guaranteed, and I told you we're keeping things honest here. Finally, let's give it up for Strava for making Allie and the Experts Week possible. Go to strava.com slash summit and use code ontherun to get your first month free. That's strava.com slash summit using code ontherun for a month free with a purchase of an annual summit subscription. That's five down, two to go. Subscribe to the show, manage your money, and thanks for joining me on the run.